For you are no longer a slave, but a son and an heir of God through Christ. This is OutboundLife.org. This is a real honor. So a little bit, of, a little bit about me. Um, I'm Brian Greenwood. We, my family, moved him over to Thailand. Three years, we're going on our fourth year. Been involved working over there for the last uh, 2011, I guess. Yeah. And um, one of our main missions is to introduce the father to the fatherless. I don't know about you, but you know, you never really know who you are until you know your father. Now, don't panic, because that could create a whole different dynamics in this room. But God wants to be the father. And so when people started discovering who God was as a father, they started discovering themselves. And we started out with our main mission is a program called, our, our ministry is called Outbound Life. But our main mission is called Mission 300. And the focus was with all these children's homes got developed in Thailand that were dealing with human trafficking, but there was this afterthought of what do you do with the kids when they get out? So when you live in a culture when you don't have family, and you're taken out of something that the only thing you knew was something that was destructive to your life, you ended up doing something worse than what you ever thought before. So we created a mentorship program when they're coming out of home. And through an amazing chain of events, uh, the Thai government picked it up and adopted it. And now every juvenile boy that goes through the Department of Probation in Chiang Mai and Long Kong province, they have to go through our program. And it's pretty fun to do something for God. It's even funner when the government's actually finding ways to get you into changing policy and influencing their, their culture. So we like to say that we do missions a little bit differently. So we don't pass out the Norwegian Jesus tracks, even though there's a, there's a place for that. But we actually want people to experience God on a level that they're actually inviting them in, us in. So we just teach the kingdom of God, train up the guys, train the staff, and that's what we're involved in. So that's me, that's what we do, now about you. Right, because that's what you're here for. Whether you realize it or not, everybody came together for something. And I have a question for you. What part of tonight was God the most involved in? You don't have to answer that a lot. I just want you to ponder that for a moment. Because as I was standing out there, it's not right now. It was when you had the, fly, the, the fishing rods. It was when you had the hammer in your hand. It was in those times because that's where relationship is formed. Not Yet, as men, we have a weird disconnect with Christianity. Just so you knew, I grew up since I was... I, man, I, I grew up in the age of church where you're in there on Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer meetings three times during that day. The Wednesday night, all that stuff, right? So the, the church school that was at the church, that was my whole upbringing. And it, one day, I get, did everybody know Crossing the Switchblade, the David Wilkerson, oh, yeah. Yeah. Run Baby Run, Nikki Cruz, the whole deal? If you don't, Nikki Cruz was a gay member in New York. Amazing story. So his buddy came to our church and spoke. So afterwards, had Nikki Cruz's book on the table. So... I'm like, man, this is an opportunity. So I got my parents, and since it was a Christian book, right? I was able to get it, 11 years old, went through it, just absorbed it in a day. Most exciting thing I'd ever read before. So right after I got done reading about this guy, this gang member, this violent gang member of everything he did, and how his life was changed at the end, the next day I went to school, and we got our buddies together, and we formed a gang, and we went and fought with the team, the school down the street. <laughs> 
Because I didn't live in any excitement of Christianity. That had to be something more. So it wasn't the pre-test, the after testimony I was looking for. It was what did you, I want some excitement in life. So I remember 11 years old, I asked my dad, I said, how long do I have to go to church? Like, what's the cutoff date for I can finally say I'm, I'm done? So we negotiated that date. And that was how I grew. Christianity, even though I grew up in it, loved God, loved all of that, man, it was just painful for me. Uh, maybe nobody's ever experienced that before, but that was my view of Christianity. Then to find yourself as a missionary. You know, you go say that. That's, that's just crazy. But even with what we do, all of it changed when I realized God wanted to have fun with me. Because my kids, my son will learn from me the most when I'm interested in what he's interested in. You know, if you ever want to get to your kid, sit down and try to understand the game he's playing. Let him explain it to you, for the fathers in here. Walk them through it, and then when you go to share some insight that you have, guess what they're quick to do? Listen. So the first thing God always comes as a good father is he comes into your world to enjoy yours, to bring you into his. But see, we've kind of had that, I had that perception, don't want to speak on behalf of anybody, I had that perception that that's how God did I had to come to his world, into his Whatever that looked like to me, which was a church building of a lot of people that were unhappy, and that's where I had to go to meet God. So I went to go look for God somewhere else. Actually, I never looked for him. I just wanted to get as far away as I possibly could. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about something, because the second thing that always comes up is growing up is then they would have a men's event. And, you know, you got a few coming out, we'd eat our donuts, and it was usually, you know, you'd have the donuts, and you'd have the Bible study, and then when you were done, you know, it was over. But it wasn't this thing that really got the attention. It wasn't like the women's meetings that could just, you know, take off, because they all like sitting there and listening, talking. <laughs> guys like to beat things up and hammer and do all that kind of stuff, you know, or whatever. But there's something in that, because that's how we're designed. I mean, he picked, Jesus picked disciples over fishermen. Can you imagine what Peter's life was like? Can you imagine living with the guy for, for three years? Talk about camping on an unusual experience. <laughs> Just like, thank you, Jason. Reminds me of Jason a little bit. Did I get my Yeti mug now? Okay, thank you. So then the next thing always comes, we've got to get the men to become more men. So then the next thing was we've got to man up. Right? Anybody ever been to the man up thing? Well, you're all here. See? All, look at this. This is awesome. So my, my job is to tell you you need to become a better man. Or how to become a better man. And how to get over all of the problems you're having because you're not being a better man. And let's, let's get to that place. Now, I know you're in, being connected to West Point and JJ. I know he's not like that. But I'm just talking about this big general idea. But something has to change because the world's in desperate need of you. And not just Christian people. He's, the world's in desperate need of men that know how to be men, that are confident in being a man, so that the rest of the world can be influenced. And without it, it won't. I'm telling you from a culture in Thailand, when they said the number one thing we need is the father back in the home, because that is the core problem of every statistic in culture. You know, if you fix the father in the house, there isn't a statistical problem in society. Every statistical problem of societal breakdown stems from the father. Every one. 
So it's interesting that in Malachi, God had to come and prophesy and say, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring the prophet Elijah, and he will turn the heart of the father to the child, and the child to the father, lest I smite the earth with a curse. And of course, then we have John the Baptist. He shows up on the scene, and the first thing that he comes, he wasn't saying repent of your sins because you're bad. He was repent, change your thinking, because a different kingdom is here. And it says he turned the heart of the father to the child. So he changed the relationship of who God was to people so we can have a different connection. So the Father's relationship with you is critical to who you are because he's your mirror. So if you take a father for a minute, a good father, a kid doesn't know what they look like. Right? We have two eyes. Has anybody ever seen their own face? You've seen a reflection of your face, but have you ever seen your own face? So your eyes aren't designed to look at yourself. So you need to see something to see what you are. So we reflect something. So if I come to you and say you need to man up, how do you do that when you don't know exactly what you are? Because if you knew what you are, you would be manning up. Whatever that means for you. So it's almost like when you take weight training for a minute, when you go lift weights, I know we technically say we build muscle, or we grow muscle, but you really don't make more muscle. You take the muscle you have, you put resistance against it, and it becomes stronger. Is that a more accurate term? Can, can we kind of agree on <coughs> that point? But you can't know how strong you are unless there's resistance against it, correct? So, where's our CrossFit guy? The hammer man. See, now this guy, like, he understands resistance. But without resistance, you don't know how strong you are. Right? So I can't come to you and tell you to be what you're not. I can't, if you didn't have legs, I couldn't say, you know, if we work your legs really hard, we can really get them stronger, because they're just not there. But if you have legs that work and you have muscles, we could do something to take those muscles and grow them into something, but you have to have muscles to, at the beginning. Correct? So this is the same way what God does to us. When he comes and says, man up, he's not saying, I need you to be something different than what you are. He approaches this completely different than how our minds would normally go, where we have this assessment test of our life. Here's where our marking of a good place to be is. Here's where I'm at now, and I'm going to start working until I can get to that point, and then I got it. Does anybody know where that point is? I bet you there isn't a person in here who knows what the point is when you finally arrive that you're the man that you were created to be. That seems a little unfair if I'm supposed to be telling you to be something and there is no measurement to what you're actually supposed to be. See, you're not born a man, you're born a male. You are birthed, uh, who you are birthed from determines your identity. So I can know something about who you are by going and seeing where you came from. I can take a mango seed and know what that mango seed pretty much is going to look like and produce by going back to the tree that it came from. Now, again, this ain't very helpful to a lot of people right now. I'm just saying, just nat nature says this. So if God did this thing through believing in Jesus that we're born again, and he gives us something different on the inside of us, how do I go find out what I actually look like? That, what is the capacity for me to be? I no longer look at my natural family. 
But if God can't be a father that I can relate to, how do I ever know what I am? If God's always up here and I'm performing down here, then in one day if I do things right and keep it in order, then I get to at least go on to heaven. That's like buying car insurance. And you might get to the right church. It will save you 20% on your journey. <laughs> but it's just, it doesn't get you anywhere. But at some point, if you discover this is what I'm born of and I can go back to my source of what I actually look like, what I actually am, now all of a sudden we can start dealing with measurements of what I'm supposed to be in fruition of my life. Give me those deer in the headlights look. <laughs> so only a male, when operating from his identity, can become a man. I know that's obvious for you, but I just want you to make sure we're, we're we have a confusing culture right now. So a man is a male matured in his identity. And it's interesting that when, God, when Elijah approached God, God told him, stand up like a man. Well, what does a man stand up like? Confident, bold, assured. Doesn't have to have all the right answers, but he's standing confident in what he is. That's how God wants us to approach him. But how do we get there? It is from this place that you have influence among those around you. And isn't this the end goal? How do we have influence among those around us? We did this and tested this. And we've seen lives radically change. We have government officials that are Buddhists that come in and say, how do I teach this? And then they start asking, how'd you get here? And we go back to what a father does to a child and how God brought Jesus to show us what the father-child relationship looks like so we could be like it. And they said, well, we're not quite sure about the Jesus thing, but this all makes sense, so we'll just go with that. And then they're asking questions. What's happening? Influence. Why? Because we're, I was being a man. What does that mean? I was living from what I was designed to be. And I'm still growing. That's the amazing part. So let's look at this guy, Gideon, which is where our program came from. And I want to just highlight a couple things. So for those who don't know who the story of Gideon, Gideon's a guy that grew up in a time when another nation was absolutely oppressing the people of Israel. And what would happen is, as soon as they grew their crops, the Midianites would come in and take everything. So the people built strongholds and homes in the caves and on the hills so they could hide when the Midianites would come. And then they would grow their crops and try to hide them as fast as they could so when this enemy came in, they wouldn't just take it from them. So basically, they, they found a good job. They got comfortable with life. And they learned to manage when the enemy would come in so they at least could hide. So they lived in the management world. So they, they managed the oppressor. So one day, this boy Gideon, he's out thrashing his wheat or whatever he did to make bread, and he's hiding behind the wine press. And, you know, some of you have been hiding behind the wine press for a long time, but we're referring to the actual thing. And hiding behind the wine press, so when the enemy came, they wouldn't see him so he could prepare the food. So what he's doing, he's doing his job. He's being successful at his job. He became comfortable with his job. And he was doing great. But the problem was, there's still this enemy that was surrounding them, and he's like, I can't do anything about him. 
So I'm just going to live my life here, but not the identity that he had. So now this visitation, God shows up and meets Gideon. And I've heard so many people say, man, if God could just come and tell me what I am called to do, man, then I'd go do it. No, you wouldn't. No one has. There's not one example in the Bible when God showed up, told them what to do, that they all said, oh my gosh, since I've seen God, I'm just going to do this. No, they're like, no way, I can't do that. I mean, we still argue. Right? I mean, how many times something's in your heart, pops in your head, like, I really should go do this, and then you start arguing with yourself? It's probably God. So once the argument starts, that's more of the sign that God's talking. Just a little hint. So we have this guy, Gideon, and he's hiding. And what's amazing about this is when God shows up, he doesn't tell him what he can become. He's not potential. Like, I don't like that word that, hey, this guy has potential. You know what? A nuclear reactor that's making energy has potential to be a bomb. But it will never become a bomb unless something happens to the nuclear reactor. So we can have all this potential, but if it's not ever utilized in a way that's effective, it's still just a nuclear reactor, but it's not the bomb, or vice versa. So when you have potential, it just means you can be something, but we don't know if you ever really will be. And God doesn't use that term. He actually says what you are. He also, he actually clarifies your whole persona of everything that you are first, now you can live it out. That's good. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat under this terebinth tree. There's just a lot of big words here that I'm just going to skip over. Anyway, it's this tree that his dad owned, where Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Dude. Um... I don't know if you knew, but the Midianites keep coming in and they take everything. And I think you're off on that. I, I can't do that. See, this is the thing. I can stand and tell you what you could be, what greatness is in you, what, 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 what can happen with your life. But until you see it, it's a waste of words to me. Because you'll still walk away, maybe knowing there's something out there, but you'll just keep going back to the wine press and making your wheat and going to your job and trying to get promoted and keep advancing and doing all that. And there's nothing wrong with that unless that's where your identity is. That's right. yeah, that's good. Go do all those things in your real identity and watch what happens. But he's doing that because that's just what he could do. So he's finding his place there. And Gideon said to him, I mean, think about that. God shows up to this cowardly kid sitting behind the wine press because he doesn't want to be seen and he calls him a mighty man of valor and God's with you. That just seems such an oxymoron to how God thinks. But God wasn't saying just hopeful words like we do to our kid when they're really not very good at a subject. We say, we know you can do this, buddy. <laughs> you could get an A. I don't, I don't know if you can get an A. But let's just focus on B. Can we get a B? You know, it's like, you're not trying to just say, man, that, you're, you, that was the best match you ever played at the hockey game. And it stunk. He knows. He knows it stunk. But he knows you're just cheering him on. So then pretty soon your words become discredited because you always say good things about me. How about some truth about this? Now we go, go the other way because that's how we think God is anyway. Is we say how bad we are. 
And then we're going to hopefully see you're really bad, you loser, you sinner, you think you need Jesus, so come on in. And then we, you know, in some circles, you spend all your time down at the altar getting right each week, and you never made it right the first time. It's like, geez, I can't do this too often. Just say that I'll go in a year. You know, I mean, there's that. There's this weird thing, because God's still not a father. He's not a good father to us yet. And I'm saying this, Jim, it's really not applying to you, but, you know, when you go home and tell people about this, you'll have some, some good words to say. So Gideon says to him, my Lord, why has all this happened to us? You say something good that I can be, but then look at all the, the garbage that I'm in. Don't you realize what this is? See, automatically our defense mechanisms start going up. So Gideon is thrown back at it. Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us and delivered us in the hand of the Midianites? So here's the deal. You're coming saying I'm some mighty man of valor, trying to encourage me, trying to lift me up. Why are we in this mess to begin with? If you're so good, why did you cause this to happen to begin with? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. I love this. Don't go in something you don't have. I don't want you to, I'm not asking you to do something in something you have no capacity to go do or ability to go do. Gideon, I want you to go in your might and deliver this nation, and I'm with you. I want you to think about what God's saying. He's entrusting the deliverance of a nation to a boy that's hiding behind a wine press, and his key to changing the perspective of this young man is by telling him who he is, what he thinks of him, and that he has the capacity to go do it. Mm -hmm. And I'll walk alongside him. Goes on. It says, now it came to pass the same night. So now it came to pass. So he's absorbing all this. He did all of his arguments. He said, but how can this be? I'm from the lowest family. I came from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm the, nobody likes me in my family. I'm the youngest. That's why I'm out here. They don't want to come and do it. So... All the excuses to why this can't be true about me. And I think this is amazing because God wasn't trying to find, hmm, I went to Bill and he wouldn't do it. I went to Sam and he wouldn't do it. John, John was kind of willing, but then he turned it down. <sighs> All right, let's, let's, let's dump it on me. No, Gideon's the first person God comes to. The one in his mind, he's the least qualified. In God's mind, he's the perfect one. See, all of us in here have something in you that you've mastered the outside. Like, I haven't mastered the paper thing very good. But some of you have gotten really good at that. Now, maybe you need a new job. But anyway. <laughs> or whatever that thing is, we've mastered some things. We've become real good at some things. But inside, there's something more that maybe it applies to, but we kind of sit back and go, I don't really know what God has for me. And, you know, that praying thing, I'm not really, I don't know really how to pray. God's up there. You know, I'm going to get with my buddies and go out and go play some football. And then we'll come back and pray, and hopefully God will kind of speak to me or, or whatever. And if we could stop for a moment, it's while you're out playing football, it's when you're out Doing the things that you're down, you're letting your guard down, you're relaxed, you're in those moments. If you will stop, this is where God's speaking to you. Amen. This is where he's calling you out because he enjoys that with you. Because you like it. So 
So he deals with all this. He kind of finally settles. This is what he's going to go do. And he, he created an altar says, the Lord is peace. In other words, inside, something stabilized. Inside of Gideon, he finally goes, man, I knew that was there. But I kept hiding from all of it. And then God, all God had to do to release the power in Gideon was to speak the truth about him in love. Doesn't that change that whole verse? He spoke the truth in love to Gideon and his perspective changed. But the next act he has him go do is I need you to go tear down the altars that your father had built up and burn a sacrifice to me. And he willingly did it at night so nobody can see him. <laughs> hey, we're all on the journey, right? This is what's cool about this story. God enjoyed his journey. See, this is the, he didn't do it exactly. He did exactly, but he kind of did it in a way. It's like, okay, I'll go, but do I have to go during the day because the whole community is going to be out there, and if the whole community is out there, then I'm going to have to go deal with the whole community. I would rather, I'll just go at night, and then no one will see me. So he goes at night, just wipes, the, wipes it all out. And here's what's significant about that. He wasn't going and dealing with the relationship with his natural father. He wasn't going in and casting something wrong against him. He was settling the fact that my belief system is no longer going to be tied to this belief system. My belief system is now going to be what God says about me, and I will work on your behalf. And you know his father supported him. It's interesting, we've had our guys in our program, one of the guys that works for us, he does our photography and video, his name is Q. And we were talking about this, about fathering. And this really kind of hit a sore spot. Every time we hit the subject, it's a real sore spot. Because how do you love a father that was so brutal to your mom that when you stood in at the age of 13 years old to defend your mom, that you have knife scars up and down your arms from blocking the knife attack from your dad. And I'm supposed to know God's a good father? Because my idea of father is a whole different view. He was angry. But as we started walking through what a good father looks like and what God's opinion is of you, he now actually does some side jobs with his dad because he's no longer angry at his dad because his dad doesn't control his identity. Because his dad was doing what his dad had done and his dad had done and his dad had done and this whole thing was that no longer was he mad at that but his, his identity and who he was was no longer tied to that belief system. That's good. Hmm. So it doesn't matter whether it's your natural father or it's belief systems that have been birthed in your brain over the years <coughs> saying, you know what, I'm just going to be great at this right here because I'm good at it, so I'm just going to stay there and that way I can hide from this other thing over here and I'm just going to, because you can be super successful and still be completely out of knowing in your heart that you're supposed to be doing something different. And some of you can be in that place and catch this and go further in that place. See, God isn't about taking you out of your business to go do something else. He's about taking you who you're designed to be so you walk in the maximum fulfillment of your life because then everybody else is affected by that. That's good. That's our father. So he goes and wipes this thing out. 
And I just, I love this idea that God can come to you in the place you're the most trusted or the most relaxed, in the place that you're most rested, in the place that you feel the most comfortable and speak directly to your heart the truth. And you know, we've, we've heard that verse, you know, let's speak the truth in love. And brother, I just need to speak the truth in love. I just don't like the shirt. But I love you, brother. I, I like it. <laughs> it's all right. We'll, we'll let you buy on that one. And we can, I, can, I can say that or whatever. It's like, you know, I, I got to really just go tell them how I'm really feeling about this thing. But really what that verse is referring to, can you see in that individual what God sees in that individual and remove the clutter of it and speak the truth in love that will change their life? Because love believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, it never fails. So when God speaks love to you, he says it from an eternal point of view of this is how I've always seen you. See, what the Father does, a good Father defines who you are and creates a parameter of your environment for your life. Your father, your natural father, is the first person who shows you how to interact with the world around you. Your mom teaches you how to be secure here, but your father takes you out of that. And he doesn't tell you how to do it necessarily. He doesn't do it for you. He walks beside you. And as you screw up or you, you feel like you're messing up, he says, yeah, that's how it feels. You get up. You know that verse, Psalm 23, that we always hear at the funerals? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. You know, at some point, once you restore it, I want to go do something. Like hunting, running, do, do something. I want to go do something. And I used to have a problem. It's like, man, I'm just kind of stuck in that verse. It's like everybody keeps coming back to restore my soul, restore my soul, restore my soul. Man, when, when is it restored? Like, man, it's like working on that never-ending project that your wife asked for you to do in your basement. Like, we're going to finish that next year, and 35 years later, three kids and grandchildren, and it's still the wall's not up yet. They're restoring. It's like that. And so they kind of just forget about it, man. It's like, I don't want to be in restore mode anymore. He's in the building something new that never existed before business and calling it before you see the fruit of the whole thing. That's the business he's in. And I'm watching, you know, I'm just thinking through, you know, with my own children, is what do I need to speak to them? What kind of environment do I need to create? How do I bring them into a place that they know who they are? And it used to be, man, I gotta shape them, I gotta, I gotta keep them away from this, I gotta keep them away from that, I've gotta keep them away from this. Man, I can't have them experience that, I can't have them experience that. But how do they get strong? So that would be mothering them. But the father doesn't do that. You know why? Because he believes in you. So he's already trained you. He's already developed you. Now he brings you out. You know, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But why is the world more powerful? Why is it shaping us, deforming us, defining us, and causing that? Because it's greater than our mind than the God is. Because God kind of has become impotent in our life. Christianity's just kind of been, but it's not. It's the most manliest belief. To believe in Christianity is the most manly thing that you could do. Because it goes against everything. It goes against the environment. It goes against your, your, everything that surrounds you. The greatest men in history. 
But now we've, it's kind of like, how can we make it safer? You know, you think about growing up. I didn't, you didn't wear seatbelts? There's the arm across when you hit the brakes. There's asphalt underneath the jungle gyms. Right? You actually got a BB gun when you're 10 years old to go hunt squirrels? Not every, nobody got their eyes shot out in here, right? But now it's like one person out of 400 billion get their eyes shot out. Now we got to, oh, we got to stop that. It's just not safe. You guys have to understand, that isn't a Christian spirit. Now, I'm not saying give your five-year-old a machete just, just to prove a point. I'm talking about we've, we've made everything so safe because the enemy doesn't want you to become a man because you cannot get strong unless you pick up a weight. But I can't come to you if you've never lifted before and say, you know what, you want to be a man, lift that. Well, you know what? At some point, you're going to give up. Because no one showed you how to lift it, how to develop that, how to get to that point, how to do that thing. And pretty soon, you're going to say, you know what, I'd just rather go do something else. I'm not a man. And that's what we said Christianity was. But see, a father takes you, you know what? You like fishing? Let me teach you how to hear my voice. And he starts helping you lift weights while you're fishing. Well, that's what we sound like. That's how this works. That's how on my job. Man, that's how I can pray for this. Are you saying I could pray for whatever your job is, whatever realm that you've been given a place, you have authority. And if you will take that realm, I'm not talking about over people. Real authority is that you can influence an environment. I'm just talking about whatever's in your sphere. If you rose to the place that God, what God thinks about you as his son, a joint heir to the throne, a place of rulership with him, in that place, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Who's not going to want to hire you after a while? Who's not going to be coming to pick your brain to find out, what are you doing? <clears throat> but God is craving a fellowship with you that you didn't even know was available. See, we can't man up until we know our Father. And guess what? Manning up isn't me doing something. Manning up is me accepting the idea of what he thinks about me. Because a seed produces. So imagine, if you will, if I came to you right now, in your business, and you've been working hard, you've been doing all this, and I came with papers, and you knew they were legal, and it was all validated, and you found out that you're the heir of the king of England, and estates were sitting there waiting for you. And you'll have full royal title, you'll have free passage, and you're the heir. And all of a sudden, I showed that to you, and you could validate it, but here's the deal. You have to leave your citizenship to go accept that citizenship. You can come back and visit, but you have to leave to go accept it. But it's all real, like everything that you ever thought. But see, that seems like, wow, that'd be great, but we would actually process away from that. But if I could walk you through that you are an heir, that you have an inheritance, that you have an identity, and I could walk you through that, you would begin ruling and reigning right here. I wouldn't need a title from the king of England because I'm already ruling. 
So Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 says, And you who made dead... Um, oh, we're done. Sorry. Okay, I'll just use this verse. Are we good? Okay. No. <laughs> we have always waited for someone to say, no, you've got to stop right there. No more passing. See, if we know who we are, we wouldn't be passing around right now, would we? I'm manning up. That's what I'm doing. All right, all right. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And you he made a... You... He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In other words, that's a long version is you were under another kingdom and you were subject to its power. Okay? So you behave that way because that's what you were. Right? Among whom also you once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. Why do we fulfill the lust of our flesh? Because that's all we have. But when you know what you really are, all of a sudden there's something much bigger to go after. But if you don't have anything else, why, why, why are we mad when that people act like that? They have nothing else. There is no more hope, except what you can just get right here. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here's the cool thing. So he, didn't, he never delivers you from. He always delivers you to. So if he comes in his grace, his grace has... I, I don't even know how we get lost on the fact that we can sin or not sin or because that means I can go do this or I can do that. Man, forget all that. Why do I just want to be just a mere human? I'm born of God. What it means is I get to sit with him from his perspective, his thoughts, his mind, and share with my father, the person I've been seeking after my whole entire life. And this is the Christian faith. So I'm here telling you tonight that he's made a place for you. And if you listen to this last verse in Romans, Revelation 3.21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit. What are we overcoming? Man, if I get over this... Whatever that thing is, I need to get over. It has nothing to do with your behavior. To him that overcometh the thinking that I'm less than what he said that I am, I will give to I will let you sit. So you can't take an inheritance unless you believe you're worthy to receive the inheritance. You have to overcome that. And when we can overcome the idea that the Father believes in me, is passionate for me, will never leave me. Whatever I'm in, he enjoys my fishing, he enjoys whatever, and then he's adjusting me when it's stupid because he's there with me. And I'm not feeling all guilty. He's just sitting there going, like my son, I go, hey, there's some things you're going to see on the internet. Let's talk about it. Drop all the shame, drop all the embarrassment, drop all that. Let's just talk about it because it's coming. So how are we going to, how are we going to talk? He goes, okay, do that. So we started creating case scenarios so we could have conversation when you're feeling stupid. That's how the father does. So we're not constantly going, oh, we have to get three weeks of getting over the remorse so we can get back into actually having fellowship versus he's just adjusting along the way. And sometimes they'll say, Brian, that's kind of stupid. I know, but I really want to try. Yeah, I, I, and he just waits. And then I find myself, because he's still there, why am I being stupid? Because my father's there working with me. To him, I will grant to sit on my throne with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. 
He doesn't just save you, but he has a designed position of rulership with him. And we just live as kings here. How's a king live? Justly. He influences. He doesn't lord over. He doesn't have to because he's the king. And it changes the dynamics around you. But you'll never know who you are until you know your father. And once you know who you are, being a man is a problem.